I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hey, everybody, this is Kevin Bossemeyer with UCI Conversations, and my guest today is MFA actor Fox Worth, who grew up in Detroit and received his bachelor's degree in the summer of 2018 from Western Michigan University that has a very well-known acting program. From there, he came to the land of the anteaters and plans to graduate from UCI in 2021. And just a heads up, if you want to know what Fox looks like, keep a sharp eye out for those big blue UCI transportation buses that are constantly driving around campus, and you will see the long horizontal theme posters on the sides featuring assorted UCI students and academians, and you cannot help but notice Fox's big smile and his moniker, The Scene Stealer. Just be aware that the posters list his name as Brandon Foxworth, but that's the old. He is now the new, the constantly evolving, constantly growing Foxworth. So please give a warm cyber welcome to Foxworth. How are you today, Fox? I'm doing good. How you doing? Fantastic. I'm very well. Thank you for coming down. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Welcome. So tell us the story about how did the whole bus thing evolve? Yes, the bus thing. So about springtime last year, I got this email from this UCI Brilliant Future campaign talking about how they wanted to do a video showcasing UCI students. And the requirements for the video were to send them a, a headshot picture of you and to just explain your experience at UCI, why you love UCI, and how you came to be in UCI. So I did so, that. So somebody had somehow they got your names. Yeah, networking. Okay. Yeah, and they just and, and, and I got this this email, and I was like, well, of course I'll do it. That's that. I mean, I'm an actor. I I love showcasing and campaigning. So of course, so I did it. And from that, we did the video shot it that spring it was a beautiful experience so fun and then from there they, they said okay so the, the the video will be done in around october and of course me wanting to be able to show the video i was like oh well will we get a copy and they were like yeah yeah we'll, we'll, we'll let you know there'll be a big ceremony and everything so time goes by october gets here and they invite us all to go watch the video on this big screen at the Bren Center. And wow. So, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Food in, in, and everything. In the actual arena? Like on, yes. a, on, on a really big yes. screen. Yes, okay, in cool. the, the huge screen. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And there was a program going on, but I wasn't in it. They were like, yeah, we're, we're going to have you not be in it because you, you actually have a, a bit of talking and roll in the video so i said okay I, I don't know what that is and i saw it it was amazing the video ended with me talking which was crazy you closed the show closed the show and i was like well that's amazing and then after that they were like oh yeah by the way your face is going to be on the side of a bus i was like <laughs> what that's insane. So, yeah, yeah that's how the bus thing came. That's what all happened. <laughs> they have multiple different people. And yeah. So, do you have any idea how many buses you're on? Or? I've seen this week, actually, three 
in one sitting. So you knew they were different buses. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then how did your name change come about? Yes, so the name change. So, like you said before, my name, my, my as, as some people call it, my government name <laughs> is Brandon Foxworth. And it still is to this day. When I was in high school, I was a really, really shy guy, introvert, wasn't really with the big crowd. And there were about 15 Brandons in my high school. I went to Cass Tech High School in Detroit. There were about 15 Brandons in the school. And since I'm not that popular of a person, there would be times where people would say, oh, hey, Brandon, what's up? And I would say, hey. And they'd be like, uh, not you, him. And I was like, oh, okay. And that just happened too many times. And I joined my theater program in high school around my uh, junior year. And this was the time I was like, okay, this group of people don't know me. I can become somebody, become something. So I said, so we were going around the circle and they were, they were like, all right, just tell everybody your name, you know, early theater stuff. You want to get to know your ensemble. And I said, okay, what's my name? Brandon Foxworth. How can I get, oh, Fox. I'm going to do Fox. It's my last name, but still my name. So I said my name was Fox. And they were like, oh, okay. So time went on, but I still professionally, I was still going by Brandon Foxworth. And what started to happen was I would meet different, like going into undergrad, I would meet agents or meet managers or, or directors or whoever. And I would have to introduce myself. Hi, my name is Brandon Foxworth, but you can call me Fox. And it just seemed like it was such a mouthful to say, you know, because, you, you know, when you meet people in passing, you really want them to remember you. Yeah. So it started to, to come as I was saying, OK, well, can I how do I change that? All right. Well, why why not go by Brandon Fox? And then that started to also be a mouthful. So I was talking to my undergrad professor, Dewandra Lampkin, and I said, what if I just go by Fox? And she was like, okay, well, you are not Oprah. You are not Prince. You know, she's like, what about, what about Foxworth? And I said, Foxworth? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't really know how I feel. And around that time, I had lost my father in 2015. And his last name was Foxworth. And I asked my high school teacher, Marilyn McCormick, I said, I'm trying to figure out a name change. I don't know what to do. I'm thinking of Fox. My professor just said, Foxworth, what should I do? And she said, how can you honor your father? And I said, well, his name is Foxworth. That's his legacy. I am his legacy. Why not live that? So now I go by Foxworth as that's my name. So when I meet people, I'm able to say, hey, I'm Foxworth. And people remember that. And also I'm paying homage to my father. Yeah. You know, just meeting you today and hearing it, I totally get it. It it totally flows. And I'm with you. Thank you. (laughs) So let's just talk about you growing up, were you in the inner city of Detroit? Yes, I was in Detroit. So in Detroit. Yes, and yes, indeed. How was that? I loved it. You know, there's in every city, in every town, there's always the, the citizens finding the beauty of it. But there's always the ugly. You know, there are ugly parts of Irvine. There's ugly parts of everywhere. So, of course. Are there ugly parts of Irvine? <laughs> well, I mean, to a, to a Detroiter, there are some parts where I'm like, oh, this is 
this is really sketchy, sketchy, <laughs> or, or or just, or it's the fact that it's not sketchy yeah, as why right, it's sketchy. Right. I like the way Will Ferrell, the actor, mm-hmm. says that you know how a lot of comedians have a lot of angst and anger from their growing up, and he's like, yeah, I grew up in the mean streets of Irvine, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a purity, you know, just about his humor because he goes, it's not anger, I'm this guy from Irvine. Yeah. So there were good influences and there were exactly. bad influences. How did you stay out of the bad did you well my mom and my dad were very very especially my, my mom she was just she had lived that life my mom and my dad were both from Detroit and they went to the same high school that's where they met each other and she vowed that none of her she she has all boys six boys I'm wow. the oldest wow. of the six Okay. Yes, indeed. And she, she, she just vowed that we would be different. She wanted us to be different. She wanted us to be better. So, if there were any bad influences, gangs or whatever, she kept us very, very much away from it and instilled in our brains that we would do better and we would be better and we wouldn't succumb. I would always hear growing up, "You are a leader, not a follower." Like just, I mean, from. Very, very young ages, I was also the oldest, so I had to keep that going as well. And, yeah, it was just them on us and trying to put us into as much uh, positive influences as they can. And also just me, myself, I think I've been on this earth before in some other life. I just think that when I was a kid, I just knew that that life wasn't it for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I said, no, that's not what I want to do because mm-hmm. I know that I have the capability to, to do this. Mm-hmm. Most kids don't. Most mm-hmm. kids don't have parents telling them, no, you can be something. You will be something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to them, it's it's probably a little bit easier to get wrapped up in the bad influences, but I had too much good, too much productive too much progressiveness around me for me to sink back have you heard of the expression work twice as hard to get half as far absolutely the vice chancellor told me that thomas parham who is black do you know who that quote is attributed to? i don't yeah, i it, don't I, I love that quote mm-hmm. it really i think is powerful and you, you just kind of re- reminded me of powerful influences on our lives yeah if you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossemeyer. And my guest this week is Claire Trevor, School of the Arts MFA acting major, Fox Worth, who now shares about how he got into acting. Here we go. So when did acting start to happen for you? Acting. <laughs> acting started to happen my junior year of high school. Okay. Now, before that, I, I've been writing since I was seven. My mom and my dad bought me a uh, a Dell computer, you know, one of them old Dell computers. And I just remember I would, I always had stories in my head and all these characters, and I would always want to write. And I would just get on the computer, my little seven-year-old self, and just write, 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 write. And what I thought I was writing was just stories. But... A couple years later, I looked back and I was writing full scripts when I was seven. I mean, giving people names and giving them lines. And I had always known that I wanted to be a writer and a director. I I wanted to do something with movies, something with the arts. And I 
like many kids, were bullied when they were younger. And I had always had this rule, and I actually told my high school director this. I had this rule where I said, I don't want to be an actor because actors are pretty. I'd rather be behind the scenes. And that was really my reason for the longest of times. I was like, well, not a pretty person. I think differently now. But <laughs> but I'm like, I'm, I'm not a pretty person. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be behind the scenes. I could probably do better. And then I met my high school director and told her such. And she was like, well, that's crazy. How about you come audition for this show? Just audition. I also told her, I was like, yeah, I, I want to write. I really don't want to act because I don't think I can. I don't think I'm, I don't think that, that life is for me. She's like, well, a part of being a great writer, being a an actor could probably help. So why not just try acting? Just try it. And then I, I it's like I found my calling. Mm. Just the the show that that we did, the first show that I actually have ever done is a show called Ruined by Lynn Nottage. And it's a show about the uh, African genocide happening over in Rwanda. High school students. Yeah, we pushed the envelope. That show just impacted me so much because I just saw all of these black students really like giving their all into their work and really taking it seriously. And I played football before this, before acting. And I, and this is no offense to any football uh, players out there, but to me, football was, in a way, it was a way to learn how to be a man. You know, they, they teach you sportsmanship. You lose a game or you win a game, you still are humble and you go and you shake the other players' hands and you, you learn diligence, you you learn dedication, you you learn to, to, to grow. But to me, personally, I was like, this, it just seems like it's a way to get anger out. You know what I mean? It's just a way to like, and for, for me, it really didn't do anything. And I was like, well, I can get anger out through acting. I can get emotions out or whatever through acting. I can learn how to be a man through acting. So why not? Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, then getting into acting, it just it just did just something different for me. Mm-hmm. It was it was like I was always supposed to be there, and it was as if I I had found my people when I got into the arts, and then from there to undergrad to here, it just took off. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you remember the first film or the first actor on the screen who you're like? It impacted you. Yeah. Do you remember one? Honestly, it was a TV show. It was Power Rangers, the oh. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Wow. I, I didn't yes. see that coming. <laughs> I know. I, I remember when I was a kid, me, my cousins and I, we would always hang out, and I saw these. Is it a cartoon? No. Okay. This is, it's it's more, would it be considered sci-fi? Sci-fi action-esque? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, putting on these suits. I just Remember, I saw these people like just superheroes, yeah, just putting on these suits and fighting bad guys. And I remember, I watched that and just the fighting sequences. And my cousins and and I would all be the different color Power Rangers. And I said, I want to do that. I want to be that. And then moving up, um, of course there was Denzel who influenced me and Forrest Whitaker who influenced me, as well as many people would shrug their heads about this but high school musical so a lot of people daughter, are, i know it well my daughter loved it so. yeah i i was a fan i'm still a fan but you know being a, a young black kid in detroit there, there's not there wasn't a lot for you to 
look at as as theater. You know, like so many people are taking arts out of the public schools, taking arts out of schools, period. So there, there wasn't really a lot for me to look at to say, oh, I can be that. I can do that. And Corbin Blue, black guy, was in High School Musical and me seeing him in this show where all these people are singing and dancing and it became this phenomenon. Kenny Ortega, who directed High School Musical, I just remember watching, I would always watch the behind the scenes of how they constructed everything, how he constructed the songs. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. And then along the way, Viola Davis came, Octavia Spencer came, all these these giants and August Wilson, his writing came and I just got wrapped up with everything but but yeah it yeah it honestly started from power rangers and then it just mm, yeah built on up yeah. and wesley snipes as well watching him when i was younger gotcha you know, one of the most powerful moments i ever saw in theater so far it was at the la theater center and it was an august wilson play it wasn't fences but it was one of his plays mm-hmm. and there was just the, the you know the black actor there was a tension throughout the whole play yeah and at the the crescendo the last scene it just exploded it exploded for me emotionally mm. i was just like crying yeah it was so powerful i wasn't conscious of it just really riveting so yeah i um i get you man that's what the work does it does doesn't mm-hmm. it so you went from high school to western michigan university yes indeed so you started developing your craft. You're in college now. Can you talk about your craft a little bit? Like, yes. what, what is your process? And maybe, maybe we'll start off with something that's a mystery for me. Is I'm an actor. Mm-hmm. Also, is learning lines. Mm. And I think one of the things that attracted me to acting was that I had a tough time just with even if it wasn't acting, just memorizing anything. Exactly. And it still is hard for me yeah but now i recognize it as just the work you know like emotionally connecting with what is this line saying and what are these particular words what do they mean yeah what happened before what what are you going for in the future can you talk a little bit about specifically about learning lines and then we'll go from there yeah well for me learning lines has never really been a problem i think because i'm a writer I'm a writer first. I, you know, like I said, I, I wrote a long time before I acted. And just what people, and I, I'm also a listener. And I'm also, a, 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 I take in everything. And I always have since I was a kid. And I've always been interested in what people have to say and why they say what they say. And I would I would always just watch my family and watch them talk and just learn things about them from how they say things and why they say things and when they say it. So from that, I think just in me knowing the importance of playwrights put these words on this page for a reason. It's always for a reason. Just like a thing I go by, everything happens for a reason. Everybody says something for a reason. We are here right now for a reason. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when I look at scripts, I first am like, all right, let me read this and see what this character is trying to convey. Why are they speaking? They're speaking for a reason, but what is it? How can I connect them to me? If I was in this person's shoes and this is what I had to say, why would I say it? How would I say it? 
and I don't know, they just click with me. I mean, I, I have an uh, app on my phone where I record the other person's lines and record my lines and go back and forth. And I've done that since, believe, my sophomore year in, in undergrad. And that's helped. But also just, I don't know, just connecting with the character. And, you know, the, the, there's a saying you, you've probably heard where, where they said every character you've played is already in you. They're just waiting to be unlocked. It's like a game, mm -hmm. you know, with, mm -hmm. with different avatars and whatnot and different, you know, the computer computer characters where it's that, that person's already there. You just need the opportunity for that person to be unlocked. So I think all of the characters that I've played and that I will play are already in me. I just needed whatever playwright, whatever director to show me them. And then I just let them speak. Excellent. Yeah. When you were in undergrad mm -hmm. work, what else did you feel like you learned about your craft? I learned a lot. I learned one big thing is that a lot of the problems and things that actors bump their heads on in the theater world and in the art world are nine times out of ten problems that they have in life. Art reflects life like no other. And different examples of that could be if you're an actor and one of your notes that you continuously get from directors are, I need you to speak up more. You're probably not as loud in life. And that's the thing that you need to work on, your voice and being heard. Or if you're too loud and directors are like, I need you to quiet it down a little bit. You're probably too loud in life. So that's a thing that it's always interesting the how therapeutic theater and art can be. Mm. And I found that for me, one of the huge things that I've learned is less is more. You don't have to do so much to be interesting. Everything that you need is already inside. A high school director would always say that everything you need is always inside of you. And I remember when I was in high school, I was like, what is she talking about? Mm -hmm. What do you mean? Right. I mean, of course, I mean, I was young. I'm young now, but I was like, I don't get it. What does that, right. what do you mean everything that I need is inside of me? But I think that was just a testament to say, you don't need to go outside of yourself to find worth, mm -hmm. to find your, your worth on this planet, your worth in that audition room, your worth in this room right here. It's already inside of you. You don't need to be anything more than what you are you already have it that was a a, a huge lesson for me and still a huge lesson now and I, I believe it'll be just that acting thing that I'm always working towards and working on for the rest of my life which is also I'm working on in life you know what I mean mm -hmm. to make it personal I mean that's that's what I myself Fox needs to learn is that I don't need to go outside of myself for worth people are not my worth. Materials are not my worth. My worth is what is inside of me, and that's all I need. Wow. Yeah. Well, well said, Fox. Thank you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossemeyer, with my guest, Fox Worth, who is a first-year MFA in acting, talking about his development as a human being and as an actor. Now he talks about his favorite role as an undergrad. Do you have a favorite role from your undergrad 
years? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, all of the roles that I did in undergrad were amazing and really, really challenged me, but one would have to be The Foreigner. The Foreigner is a play by Larry Shu, and it, it's, fa- it's fairly well known plays. Yeah, I, I've heard of it. I don't. Can yeah, you tell us a little bit about what's about or go ahead. Yeah, so so basically, the, the foreigner is is it, it takes place in the eighties. A guy named Charlie is very very shy. Has a um, I don't know. If, I don't remember if it's his wife or his girlfriend, but is with somebody that really doesn't like him. Has somebody that really isn't a, a big fan of him, and he has a friend named Froggy. The, it, it takes place in London. And the, and Froggy's going to the U.S. to go solve something, and he's like, "All right, well, Charlie, I want you to come with me because you're down all the time. You're always sad. Come with me." So Charlie goes with him, and he goes to go stay with this family in the South, and <laughs> Charlie is very, very shy. And Froggy didn't tell Charlie that he would be staying with these people who are very, very loud and very, very extroverted. And so Charlie's very, very like nervous and freaking out. And Froggy's like, well, we'll just say that you're a foreigner. We'll just say that you're from a different place and their country. So they, they, they won't even question it. And so Charlie has to kind of like create a new language, create a new accent, create, become a foreigner in front of these people in order to stay there. And they find out what, whatever is going on in the town. But yeah. The Foreigner, and it's so hilarious. It's so funny. And it, The Foreigner came to me at a time where it, I did it in 2016. And it came to me at a time where I was really, 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 in a way, trying to find myself and trying to find out who my personality was and who I was as a person. And it's just so funny that I'm doing that in life and doing this show at the same time. It all aligned at the same time. And what The Foreigner taught me the most was who you are is beautiful. And you shouldn't be trying to be anybody else. But also, you have the power to dictate who you will be. Nobody else can make that decision for you. Not a a person who doesn't understand your worth that you're trying to be with romantically or family or friends or whoever you should not be a foreigner to yourself. Mm. Figure out who you are, mm. and that is beautiful, and that is enough. And it, it's, it was my first role where I played the the name, the, the, the title character. Mm. So there was a lot of responsibility on me, but it was such a beautiful experience, and it's one that I'll just never forget. Mm. It, what's really interesting, Worth, is, or Fox, yeah. is how Worth keeps coming up in our conversation just very naturally and fluidly and uh, I think you got a great name, Foxworth. It's yes. perfect for you, man. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> sure. So, how did coming to UCI come about? Yes, indeed. So, UCI, so, <laughs> Western has a great relationship with UCI in terms of we have a professor there, Kate Thompson. She graduated from here We and we had other like we had heard about it a little bit, but it, it it wasn't really like, you know, you hear about Yale, you hear about NYU, you hear about Juilliard. To us, UCI was on that same tier. 
But with me in grad schools, I was like, I always knew that I, I would go to grad school because I, I wanted to study the craft more, but I didn't know where I was going to go. And a couple of times UCI came up, some people t saying, oh, you, you, you should go. I think it would be great for you. And I'm like, uh, I, I'll audition, but I really don't, I really don't know about UCI. So I talked to Kate Thompson and I respect her and love her as an actor and a person. And, she, and they really crafted her to be the woman that she is. So me seeing that, I was like, okay, so I did the Erda auditions where, mm -hmm. you know, all the grad schools come to one place mm -hmm. and they audition you. I did that. And I have, it's a funny story with, with, with how UCI came to be. So I'm a spiritual person, Christian, but more spiritual. And I'm, I'm just that person where I'm like, everything happens for a reason. And I feel like we are given signs and we are given just science is the word. We're given signs as to what could come or and to get ready for it or to be weary of it. So when I auditioned for Erda's, the day before I uh, I was ready to audition for everything, I had a dream that I was pregnant. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> and I remember this dream, and uh, I was at one of my relatives' houses in in, in my head, and I was like, and but my stomach was how it is. It wasn't like, you know, pregnant belly, but. Everybody was telling me, oh, you're pregnant. Oh, my gosh. Oh my, I, I can't wait for the baby to come. And I remember somebody said, the baby's coming. And then I looked down and I just felt a breeze. And I heard, I didn't even see the baby. I heard a baby. I knew it was a baby boy that was crying. And I was like, what? And I woke up and I woke up at six o'clock in the morning. I was like, what the hell? What, what was that? Yeah. What is that? I remember I called my best friend and I was like, I just had a dream I was pregnant. He was like, he's like, what, what, <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we'll look it up. And I looked it up, and they said when men have dreams that they're pregnant, it means the birth of a new thing is coming, the birth of a new creation of a, of 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 something is, is coming. And so I was like, okay. So I did my auditions, got a call back for UCI, and. I had never been to California before, but since I was a kid, when I was writing, I had always dreamed of moving there. But that had kind of went away, and I visited here, loved it, and during the callback process, when you interview here, you stay, you come see a couple of classes, you get to know some people, you see the campus, you meet the faculty, and then you redo your uh, audition in front of them again. The day before, now, mind you, a, a month or so had passed since I had did my initial audition. The day before I had to do my audition again for, for them, I was holding a baby boy in my dream. And I was like, and, and I had forgotten about the dream I, I had when I was pregnant. And I was like, oh, snap, this is, uh, am I going to go to UCI? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe that's not what that dream meant. So I auditioned for UCI, had to wait a couple weeks, and I was about to actually do an audition callback for NYU. Now, how this works, Erda has a certain time in which you have to let your schools know um, that you want to choose them for the school that you're going to. NYU and Yale and Juilliard are all on different uh, calendars. So 
NYU's callback is two days. It was over a weekend. It was that Saturday and Sunday. That Sunday, I had to let UCI know that if I was going to choose them or not. It's only eight slots to audition over a thousand people and take four men, four women. And so that deadline's there. And I was like, all right, well, I got to go to NYU still, but I'm hoping that they can even tell me if I can go. And I remember I was talking to UCI and I was talking to Phil Thompson, who's uh, head of the voice and speech here. And I was like, hey, Phil, I know that I have to let you all know by Sunday night, but could you tell me what your financial aid package would be so that when I would go to NYU, I could say, hey, so-and-so is offering me this much. What could you give me? Because, you know, that's what you have to do. You know, you being a grad student, you don't want to go to uh, through more education and have to pay more because it's right. so expensive. Right. And I remember I was waiting on Phil to, to send me that email back in the midst of that, I'm getting ready to go from Michigan to Chicago to fly to New York to go to my callback. We landed in Chicago, and when we landed, all of the flights to New York had been canceled. And I was like... Weather? Or- yes, weather. Yeah. And I was like, uh, oh my gosh. So we, we're, we're on the plane for an hour, and I missed all the flights, and I was just distraught i was like what's going on no i need to go because i i have uci versus nyu i need to know where to go and i went to customer service stood in line for almost two hours and a half just standing in line waiting to go to the front to try to be like hey i have a call back i i need to be there and i got to the front and the lady was like oh there's nothing that we can do but we could possibly get you a flight for Sunday or Monday and I'm like I have to let them know by Sunday and I'm supposed to be there on Saturday I don't know what to do and in the midst of all this craziness Phil had sent me an email talking about how UCI would pay for tuition and so I was talking also talking to my undergrad chairperson Joan Harrington and she's like in the airport as well talking to me on the phone and she said well you know what I think this is a sign, Fox. I think this is a sign. You can't get to NYU. Irvine is right there. They literally just sent you another message. I think you need to go. And I had already had two graduates from Western who were second years here in the program at that time. And it it was just too much pulling me to UCI. Too much. Mm -hmm. To where I said, okay, just give me a flight back to Michigan. And Never went to NYU, and here I am. Gotcha. So does that mean, are you here on full scholarship? Mm -hmm. Wow, congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Good, good. When did you start here? I started in 2018, in fall of 2018. So you've been here a year and a half? Year and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. What have been the high points so far for you at UCI in in terms of developing your craft? Yeah. Everybody has different impacts. What has impacted you so far? The growth the internal growth and the external growth, but mostly the internal growth. When I graduated from Western, I love Western, and and I'm, I'm and they sculpted me into a part of of the man that I am today. Remember when I graduated from Western, I said, I feel like I still don't know who I am, and I was what 21 at the time. So of course I'm young. Of course you don't 
exactly know who you are, but I was like, but I would like to study this craft more and study myself more. And I had heard Ir Irvine was the place for that. So when I got here and since I've been here, I, and a lot of people would advocate this about acting grad schools, but you, a part of it is you learn way more about yourself and about the type of person and actor and artist that you want to be, that you specifically want to be. And they got eight people in a three-year program, you know, so it's 24 of us all together so they can spend one-on-one -on -one time with everybody. And just the high points have been my, my classmates I, in my second year class now, I love them. They have been so supportive to my growth and we've all been there to hear each other out and to see each other grow and we're always challenging each other and I get inspired just by the work that everybody does and I've always been that person to where I take my job as an actor and as an artist very seriously because so many people didn't and so many people don't in terms of people who are actors or are not actors, they don't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And I've always been like, no, this is deeper than going on stage, memorizing lines and just saying them. No, like, I feel like we gotta do this for a reason. Acting is a medium, acting is a healing sensation, acting is a way to create and evoke so social change. And that's why I'm here. I think that's why I'm here on this earth and that's why that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I want to be around like-minded people. You know, th that's one of the rules in life. Hang around like-minded people who are going to challenge you, who are going to make you want to be better than who you are. And those are my classmates here. And I've just I've just I've seen them grow, but I've seen myself grow so much. I'm so much more aware of the man that I want to be and who I am right now. And it's 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 very selfish in, in, in a way here of like, no, this is designated for you. This program, this time here is for you. I had never really gotten that before. This is for you. Now, I'm the oldest of six boys, and I'm, I've always been a giver. So I having somebody say, hey, you, this is about you. What type of artist do you want to be? What do you need to work on? What roles do you want to play? What roles have you played? How can we get you to a point where you are fighting for the craft in your own personal way? Uh, Irvine doesn't make cookie cutter actors. They don't say, okay, this is our program. This is only what what the, the type of actors that we dish out. No, who are you? They picked you because you are special. Your personality is special. You as a human is special. And they want to embark on that. And I've just seen myself grow. I've done things here physically, artistically, emotionally, all around that I never thought I could do. And I actually just went home for the first time uh, this past Christmas. Mm -hmm. And my family can see the change. And they feel the change. And that has just been a beautiful experience you know and the, the i mean the the faculty and the teaching here is brilliant mm -hmm. i've just seen because you know a, a lot of the time with anything but especially with, with acting you're worried if somebody's going to bs you if somebody's going to you know mm -hmm. I, it, it can get to such a wooey place mm -hmm. with the teachings of acting to where you can be like oh no i don't want to what you're telling me, will it actually help me? Mm. Can I actually see the see it 
happen? Can I see the, the, the fact of are you helping me with my voice so that if I have to cry a thousand times in a play or in a movie, I can do it. And I've seen the fruits of the labor in just small doses, but they've been huge. Mm -hmm. So, and it's like Irvine it says you, you, you have a, a bag of tricks and they're just adding just adding different bags of tricks and just and, and they want to challenge you. They mm -hmm. want you to be the best person that you can be and they don't let you off easy. And that's what I needed and that's what I wanted. I believe since I'm a nice guy, a lot of people are like, oh, he, we probably won't challenge him that much. He's nice. I'm like, no, I need it. Mm -hmm. I need it because, you know, I'm serious about this craft and mm -hmm. I want to be the best person that I can be. So I need people to challenge me. And that's what they do. Just a note, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. My guest is UCI MFA acting major Fox Worth, who you may recognize from the Big Blue Anteater Express buses. Fox is pictured on the outside of many of the buses with the moniker The Scene Stealer. In this segment, Fox reveals his acting method, which will then be followed by a very personal segment on... George Floyd, and Black Lives Matter. Here we go. Fox, when you start talking about touching deep emotional spots mm -hmm. inside yourself to be able to cry, are we talking about method acting for you, or do you classify it like that? Can you just expound on that a little bit? Yeah, I think before I was much more of a method actor. And speaking on method actor in terms of this is, you know, just growing up, you hear about Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix and Robin Williams, just like, oh, oh they, they, they really get into it. They really get deep into it. And growing up, that's what everybody talked about. So that's what I thought I had to do. I was like, oh, well, then maybe I have to go and get really deep into the character and put myself in it too. But I'm so much of a giver and so much of a deep person I've learned through grad school that I don't have to put myself through as much craziness or whatever as I think it's already inside of me. So I don't, it's like what I was saying before, it, less is more. I don't need to go and physically exert myself or emotionally desert myself just because I think I have to No, that emotion is already in you. Now you just bring it out. So I think I'm a lot of how my methods go. It, it does string with the method actors, but I've learned about Meisner, who's all about repetition and Stella Adler, who's all about imagination. And I've gone into all of them. So I think I'm and what that's what Irvine is trying to train you to be is like a well-rounded uh -huh. so that you're, you're able to pick and choose where, wherever you can, like that bag of tricks. So I think more so now I'm just a deep actor and I just want to get into the character as deep as I can and just tell their story. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just the, the type of actor that I am. But before it was more so I got to be method. I got to do it. I got to feel it when I go home and feel it all the time. But no, that's not, mm -hmm. it's acting. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have to leave it. It is a job. Mm -hmm. And that's what grad school has taught me as well. It is a job. You must leave it where it is because it should not go home with you. I mean, your emotions and your body won't know the difference between this character losing its father and you. 
it would say if you're feeling it, it it's going to feel what it feels but as much as you can leave it mm-hmm. at, at the stage or mm-hmm. at the set because mm-hmm. that's where it belongs mm-hmm. gotcha anything you're currently working on at the moment we created the black students of the arts program we created the first black theater company at UCI. It's called Black Door. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter as well. It was founded by a black woman, an undergrad major named Ariel. She just saw that this has been the most black students in UCI's arts program ever. When you talk about the the arts program, is that just actors or everybody? All, oh, everybody! Wow, okay. like like with within like all at the same time within music, dance, writing, directing, painting, uh, uh, painting, uh, like uh, just all. Th- there's so much, and especially in the acting and in the grad program. This in in the twenty four of us, a lot of us. Uh, uh, our, our black students and we just saw that and was like well this we have to do something about this we can't let this go unseen so we created a black theater student organization and we're going to be working on doing a black history program we'll be doing that and last year we did a show called the night of black excellence and basically it was just a whole bunch of vignettes of black talent ranging from singing to scenes and acting to monologues and acting to rapping to spoken word to dance to movement pieces i mean just uh, to improv just everything and it was such a huge success we we only did it one night because you know we're like will people come you know because we we don't know we're like "I, I, i don't know and it was packed it was so packed that people were standing up Wow. In the back, and they stayed the, the whole time. And it was such a beautiful experience, such a lovely night of black art and black love. So we'll be doing that again this year. And will it be that same title again? Night of Black Excellence. Uh huh. Yes, indeed. So, yeah. So that'll be happening. Also, in this season, I'm in Book of Will. Book of Will is basically a show. It was, I forgot uh, who wrote it and forgive me but it's basically about uh you know so shakespeare's folio his you know book of all all of his plays Mm -hmm. it it takes place after he died and his friends henry and john are planning to make his folio because so many people are trying to get their hands on his plays and change it and turn it and they're a part of the original ensemble of who performed his plays and were best friends and family with him so they get together and they're trying to create the folio and i play henry one of the two men that are trying to get it together so yeah that'll be happening this spring very good now are you working on campus too or just i'm teaching Oh, right now I'm actually teaching voice and speech. That's yeah, so that's part of our program. We teach, and that's how we get our money and our stipends and whatnot. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, fucked. It's been a great almost hour. We've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Keep up the great to work too. Thank you. This interview with UCI MFA grad student Foxworth was done in early February 2020. Obviously, a lot has happened since then, first COVID-19, and then the killing of George Floyd. We only have a few minutes now, but I wanted to check in with Fox today, June 20th, 
to see how he is doing. Fox, are you there? I am. I'm right here. Nice, Great. To, nice to be back. <laughs> all right. Well, first of all, how did the spring quarter go? It was rough. I'll be honest. Um, mm -hmm. I, as you said before, I'm an acting major. So, you know, learning acting, which is <laughs> learning how to human, is very hard to human on Zoom. You know, we weren't made for technology to be our way of communicating with each other. It's just been a plus in some instances where we're able to talk to each other if we can't get to each other. But acting is so much of connecting with people and truly utilizing your partners everything from whatever vocal things they do to whatever physical things they do to their eyes and you know it's just it's something different connecting with a person who is in person rather than connecting with somebody on zoom so it, it, it was rough for that reason of just my art and my craft having to be learned and pushed through this covid ask like zoom you know what i mean online program but also of course with Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and now Robert Fuller who uh, have all been murdered amongst many many others and black transgender women as well I think like it it, it was really hard for me to just log on I mean you know zoom is just you know doing show video, show audio, but even that, it was just too overwhelming for me. I finished, thank God, but um, it it was rough, but I'm glad I'm, I'm on this side of it, um, that, it, that, I, that, that it didn't stop me, that I continued to push forward. And um, now there's a whole, <laughs> a whole box of dirty laundry and very, very antique, things that have needed to be talked about for a long time and i think that that's one of the benefits and the um pros of of disaster you know we, we know that when death comes uh, it, birth comes and i think that that's what we're finding now is that through this death where everybody is isolated every you know like people are laid off from their jobs and there's a lot going on and what where do we get our news from sure some people want to go to the news stations you know go to cnn or fox or what have you but more so you i mean i heard about uh, ahmaud aubrey and george and brianna through facebook and instagram so i think like a lot of people are really really you know because they what what else are they, are, are they going to do you know what i mean so they're really looking at their phones or whatnot. And I think that this is a time where we can use this for our benefit because you get a word out there and it could be transferred to a lot of people very quickly. But still, it's always the preferred method is being with people in person, which is why you see protests and whatnot going on because people are tired. And it's, I just want people to know that it's, it's that serious. It's that serious that people are going out of their way, basically threatening their lives with there being a whole pandemic happening. It is that serious that we are willing to go out and protest in person with masks on, social distancing, or what have you, but we're willing to do that because there are two different types of pandemics going on. There are two different types of diseases. One disease that 
was introduced to us back in December and really, really like happening 2020. And another one that's been, that is the core of this country, racism. So I think that this is a long time overdue. Think that now is the time for everybody to really shift. And that's the thing. A, a lot of people have asked me, well, you know, don't you just want, you know, you just want things to go back to the way that they, to the way that they were. I'm like, no, what? <laughs> the way that they were? Uh, you, you tell me what alternate universe we were in that before this, everything was good. <laughs> you know, you know, you know Fox, what I mean? and you know, I'm a, I'm a white man, and um, uh, in moments of um, of sadness and in moments of of white privilege, I, gosh, you know, I can't just go back. I don't think any black person is going to say, "Are you kidding me?" Like what you just said. Are you, are you, no, we're we're not going back to that, and um, it's just. You know, I, I think black people have been extraordinarily patient and measured and, uh, you know, can only at times have only been able to say so much, really. And um, but with the killing of, of George Floyd, the wound is is open. And um, and it, it it's been said that it feels different this time. And I I know it is for me. Yeah. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Absolutely. Because it's, here's the thing, you know, I'm going a, I'm to a tell a, a, a little story just to like get you to, to see where I've been coming from. When I was in high school, I was in this program called the NAACP AXO competition. And within this competition, they hold all over the U.S., they hold a competition locally in whatever city it is, and then they hold it nationally. There's a big national competition. So I was in Detroit, of course, that's where I'm from, and I was competing for playwriting. I got gold, one gold in, in, in Detroit, so I'm like, awesome. And then it's like, okay, now we're gonna go to the national competition in Florida and, and, uh, and compete there. And so this was my first time being away from home and having, you know, I, we had chaperones, but I pretty much felt like I was on my own because my mom and my dad weren't there. So I'm, I'm here in this new place. And like, again, I'm from Detroit where, yes, we have the arts. Detroit, that's Motown, you know, but a, a lot of things back when I was in Detroit have had changed. And sometimes I love my city, but sometimes it, it can feel like there's no hope. You know, when you don't see that what you do is appreciated, um, which is so interesting because now everybody's watching Netflix. But, you know, it, it's just being in this place where there, I mean, and this competition held for playwriting, acting, singing, music composition, uh, uh, science and chemistry and uh, sculpture and fashion design. I mean, it's 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 really huge, and you just go to this place where it's a bunch of talented black kids, talented whose eyes are wide and are just, it's just like wow. I can't believe that there is a, a a place that I belong where what I'm doing is appreciated, 
and just the joy, it, the, the black boy joy and the black girl magic that was there was just incomparable. It was just, it was something that I had never seen, and I felt so liberated. Of course, right? That, that's why we want representation because I felt liberated seeing other people who one were just passionate about something, young people who were passionate about something, young black people who were passionate about something. I mean, that was just beautiful for me. And you know, I want to go back to Emmett Till. I learned about Emmett Till. Those of you who, who don't know, Emmett Till was a young boy way back in the day who there were allegations that he was whistling at a white woman. And I believe some family members of hers and, and, and friends of those family members ended up gruesomely murdering Emmett Till to where they shot him and beat him up and they tied something to his foot and they put him in the water. When his mom saw him, he was unrecognizable. And I remember seeing this picture as a, as a young kid because I, I've always been a, um, a guy that has looked older. I mean, I think that that's like one of the stereotypes out there that a lot of black men look like they're older. That's why people are quote unquote afraid of them, but that's BS. Anyway, when I was young and I was learning about Emmett Till, it really hurt me and I had nightmares. Cause I'm like, but I'm pretty sure he didn't do it, but why did they do that to him? Because he just looked like me. And then to hear years, years later, that on the woman's deathbed that she said that she lied. Now, here's the thing that, that happened in my head when I heard about Emmett Till. As a young 16, 15-year-old man, I said, okay, but they didn't have proof. They didn't have proof. Okay, so if they had proof, then they would have seen that he didn't do it because that's what this the, the, the white history books that we learn in, in our undergrad and in our high school, middle school, what have you, we learned that if you got the truth and the proof, then you good, right? So here it is, flashback to where I was at the NAACP AXO competition. Everybody's performed. We've had a party celebrating just the fact that we all are there. The morning after, we all get the news that Trayvon Martin had been murdered. And what you just heard me do and what you just naturally did happen. We were all shunned and quiet, shocked. My mind went to one, how the hell was a grown man afraid of a young boy? How? Trayvon hadn't even reached the age that I was at. So that messed me up even more. And then to find out that, because you know, it, Black people, people in general, we are not monoliths, right? There are just some bad people out there. Trayvon was not a bad person. Trayvon's skin color was what set off George Zimmerman. Here it is, Trayvon had Skittles and an Arizona tea. Trayvon was minding his business. We had proof that George Zimmerman was, he called 911 and he, was, he started to follow Trayvon. As he started to follow him, Trayvon got, as any person would do, and the woman on the, the 911 operator told him, don't follow him, and he did it anyway. So when you see that, that right there, if you just give that to a third grader, that's basic, <laughs> that's basic morals, that's basic justice. We have the proof of what happened 
and that still wasn't enough. Then comes Eric Garner. Then comes Mike Brown. Then comes Oscar Grant. Then comes Sandra Bland. Then comes Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, the countless black transgender women that have, that, that, and we got, here he is, we, we have proof and still nothing. So if you ask me, do I want to go back? No, I don't want to go back. I don't, because back was never good. Back was never <laughs> progress. Back was never forward for me. Back was always back, and I don't want to go back. I want to go forward into the new forward, into whatever that is. And I think that that's why people are so, I mean, even now so, because we had literal proof. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. Having a knee on your neck. The world saw it. We all saw it. And until it got spread around, it, it sucks that we had to exploit a black man's death for people to get it. On a that just tells you we're not we're we're not talking about just your basic humans. We're not talking about humans at all. I don't think because on my level, a human has empathy. That's that's what I believe we deserve of each other. It's the empathy that if someone is grieving. We grieve with them. If someone is happy, we're happy with them, right? So to see that all these people are grieving and they're hurt that nothing was done. And instead of taking four, three people who murdered or stood there as accomplice of somebody getting murdered, we would rather arrest hundreds of people rather than four. That's where our country is right now. That's where our country has always been. People have known about it. I don't want to hear no more. Oh, I didn't know. It, it's, it's, I had limited resources to learn about my black history. There's so much of my other counterparts who had way more resources than I do. Come on now. It's about time that things are changed and done with. Because it, <laughs> I think people are seeing like, wow, like, you know, I'm, I'm, every time this something like this happens, there's always, oh my gosh, I didn't know. And uh, I'm like, have you read a book about America? This has been happening forever. But I can only imagine being raised in a, in, in, as a totally different person. And my empathy for that person is, okay, maybe you don't know. You know, I always say it's two different types of people, ignorant people and ignorant people. Ignorant people are people who you who just genuinely don't know. You tell them and they're making uh, their best effort to fix whatever the thing was. Ignorant people, they know what they're doing. That's these people out here rallying for police officers who are murderers. Those are people who know what they, they know what they're doing. And we can't sit here and pretend like they don't. I want to have faith, and I do have faith and hope for my fellow humans, you know. But at some point, and I think this is with everybody, at some point, it makes me go, when is it going to be me? Robert Fuller was 23 years old. I am 23 years old. 
Robert Fuller was a black man. I am a black man. When I see things like that, that he was hung in Palmdale, California, not, not that far away from me, I no, there is no more going in the back. There is no more asking for things. People are done asking. They want what should have been given to them. And I just learned this, and I want to share this. There's an activist, an actor, his name is Kendrick. I'm, I'm blanking on his last name, but he's in Insecure. If you want to look him up, please look him up. You've probably seen him on your social media platforms, but he's amazing. He shared a thing, and I want to share it as well. He said, you know, we learn in church days or just in church period that if it is a bad seed, it's going to produce a bad tree. Thus, it's going to produce bad fruit. People are like, oh, how do we reform police? We're trying to defund people. Well, how are we supposed to reform it? Here's the thing. At the core, police officers, and this is proven. You can, anybody can look it up. At the core, police officers were designed and were created to hunt slaves, to hunt black people. That is the core. We got a little bit of freedom and they said, oh, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. We can't have that, right? There's a, and the, there's a lot of conscience going on, a lot of guilty consciences that are generational, that are generations years old. I have trauma that is generations year old. So of course my white counterparts have that guilty conscience that is generations of years old. But that's the thing. We got, we got to abolish things, right? Because if something is bad at the core, you cut that off. Or it'll just start to spread and kill everything. And that's what we got right now. We got a bad seed that produced a bad tree that thus produced bad fruit. And we got to change that, the core of what's going on, amongst many other things, until we get to a certain point where there is no more Black Lives Matter. Thing is, for those who are tired of hearing it, I'm sorry, but it, it, but I'm not sorry. It should have already been a thing, because humans matter. But that has not been the case in this country. No matter if you're a white person who has had to work from the bottom up, or a white person who parents already had did that, or generational parents have already did that, and you already have money. Nobody's saying that your life doesn't matter. Let's just stop that. People are saying for hundreds of years, last year was the 400th anniversary of slavery. If you look at prison systems, slavery is still going on. If you look at the NFL, slavery is still going on, whether it's mentally, physically, or what have you. It's just under a different name. For ever, this group of people that your ancestors named black, that your ancestors named African-American, amongst other horrible names. Not saying that black is horrible, but there were other names that were horrible that they used to call us. These people who have been here, who have helped build this country, are saying, we matter, we have always mattered. But hey, People haven't been paying attention to that. So let's go ahead and bring that out. And now you've got all different types of countries and places speaking out against it as well. 
which come on now, if if every come on. And it's at that point that I that when anybody brings me anything, you know, I, I'm I'm willing to do to, to do this, right? Because I feel like that's the way that I deal with anything, right? I speak. Some people are good at speaking. Some people are good at protesting, like literally organizing it and what have you. Some people are good at handling it from a political stance. There's all different types. But what I want people to know is, and I'm glad that you mentioned it, Kevin, if, if, if I may, you had asked me if, if it was okay for me to talk about this because I didn't have to. And I'm glad you did because a lot of universities are being challenged amongst a whole bunch of, of, of organizations of them asking their black students, hey, you know, what resources should we go to and what should we do? Let me just tell y'all, it's not a black person's job to tell you what to do or to tell you where to go. They found that out on their own. Now you have to do it as well. A sincere thank you to UCI MFA and acting student Foxworth for his interview in early February and even more so for his follow-up interview on June 20th, 2020. From everything that we have seen since George Floyd's killing, it appears there is more than one pandemic going on in this country now. And I see that now is the time for me to just listen to my black brothers and sisters. I am a healer. Thank you, Fox. Foxworth, again, for sharing your experience, heart, and soul. I want to also thank my show neighbor, Ash Kumra. His show, Entrepreneur Nation, was scheduled to start at 5 p.m., and he graciously allowed Foxworth and I to complete our follow-up interview. Stay tuned, because Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra will be starting in about one minute. Thank you, Fred Kaplan, for providing the show theme music from his excellent blue CD, Signifying. You've been listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Good evening, everybody.